0: Welcome to episode 32 of Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast ministry of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today's message is a special message from Pastor Roy entitled A Movement of God. Pastor Roy will be looking at examples from scripture and history on how God starts a movement or revival. We pray that you are challenged by today's message as you listen. Here is Pastor Roy.
1: This morning, um, I'm going to take a deviation from the Gospel of John. Um, Anthony and I were kind of both under the impression that our speaker yesterday was staying today, and we found out on Thursday he was not. Uh, There was a mix-up of communication, so um, I realized on Thursday afternoon that I was bringing the message. So I decided to change the message today and talk about a movement of God, take a break from our Gospel of John, Many of you know that um, I didn't go to college right out of high school, and I got a job in a bakery and worked there for two or three years, and then from there I went into bakery sales, and I did that for several years, and I remember one particular morning taking my truck out. I pulled out about five o'clock in the morning, and um, I was making my rounds, and of course you got kind of time schedules with schools and various things, and I just... Finished, I think, uh, delivering to the schools and was going to my major account. And I'm going down the road, and the engine started to sputter. And as the engine sputtered, I said, I better make my way off to the side of the road. So I made my way off to the side of the road. And when I did that, the truck stopped running altogether. It was at that point that I realized pretty much probably what happened was I was out of fuel. Um, the gas gauge was broken. And so, to be sure, I climbed out of my truck and I got down on my knees and I reached under the side of the truck where the gas tank was and I tapped like that, and I heard a hollow sound. I said, "I am out of fuel." And so, for the next while, I had to call our mechanic, maintenance man, to come and uh, told him what happened. And while I'm waiting for him, I'm watching, you know, young guys in sports cars flying by. I'm watching middle-aged people driving by with their coffee. I'm watching elderly ladies go to get their hair fixed. Oh, by the way, fixed. Why do ladies fix their hair? Is it broken or what? I don't. I never understood fixed. Guys comb their hair. Ladies fix their hair. But anyhow, uh, going to get their hair fixed, and you know, just all these various things happening. Um, but I wasn't going anywhere because. I was out of gas. And I can't help but think, as I look at people in our world today, there are a lot of people who are running around on empty. They don't have anything in the tank. They don't have anything to give. The world's just kind of rushing by them, and they're wondering why they're just sitting there kind of stuck. And because they're absolutely running on empty... And to show you the emptiness of our world, I know yesterday our speaker talked about how the numbers are going down. Well, that may be true, but nevertheless, let me share some statistics with you to show the emptiness of our our culture. 17,000 people are murdered in the U.S. last year, which means 46 people's lives were taken from them in one day, 46 people a day are killed in the United States. 31 point, every 31.8 minutes, somebody is murdered. There is a rape reported every 5.6 minutes. Last year, there was a violent crime committed every 22.8 seconds. We have seen over 50 million abortions. And according to the Guttmacher Institute in the United States in 2008... It translates to 3,322 abortions per day. It tells me that we live in a very empty, violent world. And what gets me is God is interested in this world. He is interested in this violent, corrupt culture and wants to redeem it. If you look in Genesis chapter 6, in verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And then if you go down in chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 11, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence, God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So the earth is corrupt. God is interested. He sent his person, Jesus, as we've been studying the Gospel of John, to come into this cosmos, into this world that is violent, corrupt, chaotic, empty, broken, violent. And he wants to do something in this world. And so I have thought about, how does God move in that kind of culture? How does he move? What does he he do? Well, a movement of God often begins by God tugging on the heart of one individual. God scans the culture, and he looks for a person. If you actually look in Genesis chapter 6 again with me, and look in verse 8... Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Had no one found favor in the eyes of God, there would be no movement of God whatsoever. We would self-destruct. We would implode if the grace of God did not touch the heart of an individual. And God chose to touch the heart of Noah. And what did he do? I need you to build me a cruise ship. Well, not quite a cruise ship, but I need you to build me a big boat to rescue the people. God was all about rescue from the beginning. So Noah, how about Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? Flip over there. He tells Abraham, leave your country. Your people, your father's household, go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God initiated contact with Noah, with Abraham. He chose an individual to do a work. He established a covenant with Abraham to do that work. Moses, he appears to him from a burning bush and says, I want you to go to the most powerful person on the face of the earth and tell him four words. Let my people go. That's all. (laughs) To the most powerful person on earth. But God again chose an individual, did he not? Gideon, I want you to go and destroy the Midianites. There he is in a wine press, hiding, scared. Oh, mighty man of valor, you're the person I want. In every one of these, none of them were seeking after God. In that way, God approached them and initiated contact. David, I want you to go kill this giant. In 1 Samuel 17, as a teenager, God spoke to an individual. Nehemiah, I want you to go build me some walls. Around Jerusalem. Jonah, I want you to go preach the gospel to a wicked people in Nineveh, which today is modern day Mosul, by the way, Iraq. That's where I want you to go and preach a revival to these wicked people. Paul, I want you to go take the gospel to the Gentiles. So, what I have seen is a movement of God begins by God tugging on the heart of one individual. And that's, that's significant to me. And I think about even in our own culture at Bethesda Church that God chose to tug on the heart of an individual to give $245,000 to this church and we were able to purchase the property next door. That is a movement of God. And so then I'm thinking, what does God want to do in and through Bethesda Church? Because we, had, we, couldn't, we didn't initiate that. God initiated that. What does he want to do? And when I look at how he's worked through history. So that's how the work begins. By God tugging on the heart. How does it continue? It continues because one individual has obeyed God. Noah built the boat. Abraham left. If you look at the very next verse in Genesis 12, 4. Abraham left as the Lord told him. Obedience was the key. He left. He went. Moses approached Pharaoh. Gideon went to fight the Midianites. David slayed Goliath. Nehemiah built the walls. Jonah preached the word of God to Nineveh. And Paul took the gospel of the Gentiles. Every one of them, there was a step of obedience. And when they obeyed, God moved. Now I'm building to something. I think God wants to do something in the 21st century if we're willing to do our part. But you know what? Our part is extremely costly. Extremely costly. And in fact, it's so costly, I have not been willing to pay the price yet. And my guess is many of you have not either. And I'm going to share with you what the cost is. It's extremely expensive. But I think it's more expensive if we don't pay it. Thirdly, a movement of God often transforms people because of the courage of one individual. So, what happens? The courage of one individual. Peter preaches at Pentecost in Acts, and 3,000 people are saved. He stood up, filled with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God fell on the people. And 3,000 people in one day came to a saving knowledge. Anybody ever see that before? <laughs> I haven't. That's a movement of God. Paul takes the gospel to the Gentiles. People are saved and churches are planted. He addresses the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill and challenges them on their ideas and their beliefs. But what I want to talk to you about now is moving up a little bit closer from biblical times to the 1700s. And I want to talk to you about the Great Awakening. Maybe some of you have read about this, but I think it's important for us to visit it. The Great Awakening happened in the 1700s to the 1760s. The pilgrims who came to this continent were strong followers of Jesus Christ. However, not all of them were strong followers of Jesus Some of them came just merely to get jobs and to work and have freedom to be free from England. And so when they came, they stayed in their own little tight-knit community, and the morality and spirituality, although at one point was high, it began to decline. And because of that decline, depravity set in, and there was all kind of sin that began to take place, and there was a need for revival. Revival. And so, what happened was, there was a group of Protestant ministers who began to seek God in prayer and fasting for a spiritual revival in the colonies. And this is where the cost comes in. How much do I, how much do you, fast and pray for spiritual revival? I was convicted. Because it hasn't been high on the list. And it needs to be. They asked God to pour out His mercy on them and their communities. And there were two powerful answers that emerged from that, those prayer meetings. First, pastors proclaimed the gospel and taught the scriptures with great care, passion, and conviction. The supernatural power few had ever seen before. And I'm going to talk about some of the personalities that God used. Second, millions of people wanted to hear the gospel preached with great passion and conviction. That's what happened. In America, in England, in Europe, it was happening all over the world. And so I, several years ago, I read a book by Joel Rosenberg, who is a Jew, and he talked about, and of course I've read and studied this also in school, about the Great Awakenings, but I'm borrowing material from Joel Rosenberg's book, Implosion. He talks about some of the key people, Jonathan Edwards, who was born in 1703, look how short he lived, by the way. I want you to see how short he lived, and yet the impact that he had. Under his preaching, he was a pastor, a number of saints multiplied. There was such a glorious, it says, alteration in the town. The town people seemed to be full of the presence of God. It was never so full of love, joy, and yet so full of distress they said the congregation was alive in God's service, everyone earnestly intent on the public worship. Every hearer was eager to drink in the words of the minister as it came from his mouth. The assembly in general were from time to time in tears as God's word was preached. There was weeping and sorrow. Others with joy and love, others with pity and concern for the souls of their neighbors. That was Jonathan Edwards. And God used him mightily to change people's lives. Secondly was George Whitfield. Again, not a long life. Some of these others had lived a little bit longer. George Whitfield was born in Gloucester, England. He graduated from Oxford University. He met two young men who would change his life, who I'm going to mention in a, in a moment. Whitfield would rise at 5 in the morning for prayer and Bible study in both Greek and English, praying over every word and line that he read. Soon he was preaching 30 outdoor meetings a week around Bristol and in towns and cities throughout England. He preached to crowds ranging from 10 to 15,000 people. During the fall of 1940... Whitfield addressed crowds of up to 8,000 people nearly every day for over a month. Nearly every day for over a month. There was such a hunger and a passion to hear God's Word. Do we see that in our culture today? No. You know why? We haven't had a movement of God. And we need one. Desperately. Like we sang about this morning, hear us from heaven. Touch our generation. We are your people desperately crying out, crying out in desperation. Are we? <laughs> Am I? Crying out in desperation. Over the course of George Whitfield's ministry, in 33 years of ministry, he preached an estimated 15,000 sermons. It was not uncommon for 10 or 20 percent of the town to join the church in a single year. Then there was John Wesley. John Wesley traveled 250,000 miles, mostly on horseback, Bob. (laughs) Mostly on horseback. And he preached 40,000 sermons, more than two a day. Only in his 70s did he abandon his horse for a carriage. And only in his mid-80s did he give up preaching before dawn. Wow, there must have been somebody there to listen. It's amazing. Then there's Charles Wesley, his brother. Barely a month after Charles was converted to Christ, June 24 through July 8, 1738, he preached to crowds of 10,000 people. Charles was not even considered the greater... Gifted brother. And yet he published 6,000 hymns, and he wrote another nearly 4,000 that were not published while he was alive. He wrote such hymns as Hark the Herald Angels Sing, And Can It Be, Christ the Lord Is Risen Today, and others. And that was all in the first great awakening where God touched this broken world. And then there was another movement of God right after that called the Second Great Awakening, 1790 to 1840. The Spirit of God again began to pull out people, but again, every time He initiated this work by touching the heart of one individual, and then another one, and another one, in their obedience to God. The first personality here was Francis Asbury. 1745 to 1816. He was born near Birmingham, England, October or I mean August 20th, 1745, during the First Great Awakening. He was raised in a strong Christian home by parents who was heavily influenced by the teachings of John Wesley. Asbury at 26 years of age became a missionary to America. Did you hear that? A missionary To this continent. Asbury was a man deeply committed to Jesus Christ. He arose around four or five o'clock in the morning and would spend at least an hour in prayer, pleading with God to give him strength and wisdom and to change the hearts of Americans wherever he preached. Secondly, he was a man deeply committed to the Word of God. He preached with passion and zeal and conviction and preached the gospel. He was deeply committed to preaching the gospel no matter what the cost was. Asbury was also deeply committed to making disciples, recruiting and training pastors. That was his heartbeat. Planning new churches that were biblically based and theologically sound. When Francis Asbury came to America in 1771, there were four Methodist ministers who were caring for about 300 people. When he died in 1816, there were 2,000 ministers and over 200,000 Methodists in the United States. Do you think God used him? (laughs) By 1830, there were over 500,000 followers of Christ who had become members of the Methodist church in the U.S. By 1840 it climbed to 890,000, and by 1850, there were over a million professing Methodists in the United States because God touched the heart of Francis Asbury. By 1900, that number had skyrocketed to more than 4.6 million people. (laughs) Revival had broken out. Timothy Dwight was another one Timothy Dwight was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher from the First Great Awakening. He was born in Northampton, Massachusetts. He was raised in a deeply devoted Christian home. He gave his life to Christ at a young age. He graduated from Yale College, later to become Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. He helped start three foreign mission societies— He trained and recruited and sent and supported evangelists and pastors and church planters. In 1795, he became the president of Yale University. From 1701 to 1744, records show that on average, half of Yale's graduates went into full-time Christian ministry. Half of their graduates were in full-time Christian ministry. By the late 1790s, however... Listen to this. By the 1790s, most of the students attending Yale were not even professing Christians. There was an incredible decline. The students were skeptical, they used profanity, they gambled, they lived licentious lives. And the year that Timothy Dwight took office in 1796, it said there was barely one in ten of the 125 students enrolled at Yale would admit to being a Christian. He said the only way to change their minds and hearts is God's going to have to touch them. And so he began to pray. He began to teach the Word of God day in and day out. And he challenged those students to give their lives to Jesus Christ. During 1801 and 1802 school year, a revival broke out on the campus. Fully, one-third of the students enrolled gave their lives to Jesus Christ. About 80 out of 230 prayed to receive Christ. 35 of them decided to enter full-time Christian ministry. Because one individual had courage to preach passionately the gospel and to pray and fast and seek God. 1808, another revival swept the campus and another one in 1812 and 1813 when nearly half the student body accepted Christ as their Savior. A fourth revival came in the spring of 1815 And this one sparked, listen, by a group of students, the students gathered at 3.30 in the morning to pray. (laughs) Now you know something's happening when students get up at 3.30 to do anything in the morning. (laughs) They might do it to hunt, but not to do schoolwork or anything else, but 3.30 in the morning to pray and seek the Lord. It was an incredible movement of God. Incredible Then Charles Finney came along. Charles Finney was an evangelist. He was also born in Connecticut in 1792. He was called to preach the very time he accepted Christ as his Savior. After many months of searching the Scriptures and imploring God for insight, one night, it says, Finney's eyes were opened. And here's what he wrote. He said, right there, He was reading in in Jeremiah chapter 29. He says, Right there, the revelation of my pride was distinctly shown to me as the great difficulty that stood in the way. And he wept on his knees as he was deeply struck by the wickedness in his own heart. Finney was so full of the Spirit of God They said he would often preach for two hours or more. And they said sometimes he would get up to preach and he would stand in the pulpit and before he even opened his mouth, people in the pews would begin to weep and start publicly confessing their sin. That's how much the Spirit of God had swept over those communities. I have never witnessed that in my lifetime. Neither have you. Wouldn't it be great to see that? But are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to pay the price to see that happen? Shopkeepers hung signs on their business and said their shop was closed. Go here, Finney preach. And they would close their business so people would go hear Finney preach. By the end of the Second Great Awakening, it is estimated that 500,000 people were convite- converted to Christ through his preaching. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. Then, after this, the Welsh Revival took place in Wales. There was a young man by the name of Evan Roberts who was born in the 1800s. At 26 years of age, God touched his heart to preach revival. He had prayed, listen to this, he prayed for 13 years that God would bring revival. Now are we talking about cost? 13 years of pleading with God. During the spring of 1904, this young Welshman was repeatedly awakened at one in the morning. He met with God in prayer from one in the morning till five in the morning. And he had prayed for 13 years for the Holy Spirit to control him. When he felt the need to spend, his personal prayer effort, it says, culminated early that year, when he felt the need to spend seven hours with God in prayer and Bible study each day. The Welsh revival followed. Churches were packed for prayer meetings. Pastor Joseph Jenkins asked for testimonies in one of those services. A young girl named Flory Evans who had been only a believer a few days, she rose, and with a trembling voice, she simply said, I love Jesus with all my heart. And the other young people's hearts melted. A powerful spiritual awakening took place that brought 100,000 people to Christ in less than one year. (laughs) On November 7th, 1904, the Mariah Chapel was filled to capacity for a prayer meeting that lasted until three in the morning. Soul winning spread throughout the coal mines. The coal miners were used to cursing at their animals to get them to move. They stopped cursing at them and they, the animals didn't know what to do. <laughs> they were so used to hearing the profanity. The Salvation Army set apart January 19, 1905 for a day of confession, humiliation, and prayer throughout England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. All-day prayer meetings were held in many of the principal cities of the British Isles, according to the London Times. The meeting was marked by fervent prayer, and anyone who felt called to pray As many as 2,000 people attended a prayer meeting in the city of Bradford. In the city of Leeds, Samuel Chadwick reported that his church was never empty all day. (laughs) In 1905, there was a week of united prayer meetings in an English small town that led to a glorious revival. The Prince's Theater was packed each Sunday night after church, with 1,500 praying believers, many unsaved seekers. In Bullwell, many of the most degraded drunkards were converted. In the Bedfordshire villages, whole nights were devoted to prayer for powerful evangelism. The question is. I think God has a heart for this broken world. It's clear in Scripture. And it's clear that He works through the church, and He works through people who have given their lives to Jesus, and only God can touch somebody's heart. I don't know why He chose to work in Noah, and Abraham, and the Wesleys, and... I don't know, we we can't manipulate the hand of God. I can't manipulate a movement of God. It wasn't an emotional thing. It was a spiritual thing. The one thing I do see, the one common thread I do see through it all that I lack greatly, and I think the church lacks greatly, and so I guess it needs to start with me, is we need to pray for revival. Revival. We need to fast for revival. How hungry, how desperate are we for this broken world? That's my question. The other question is that Joel Rosenberg puts in his book, and it's a question I think that's worthy of consideration is will America experience a third great awakening? Because if, he do, if we don't, we are doomed. <laughs> I don't mean to be a pessimist, but without a touch of God, we're in trouble. And the fourth thing that I'll put up here, and just kind of a capstone to it, is a movement of God often captures the attention of a community. Churches are planted and grown. Mission work is developed. God is praised. But there's one other thing that happens. Opposition is stirred. (laughs) Go to Acts chapter 17. There was a riot. (laughs) When God stirred up the town, there was a riot on the other side. So, I think all we can do is, our part is maybe the reason God hasn't sent an awakening, it's not his fault, I think it's ours, I think it's mine, yours, ours, and I think it's something we need to desperately, and probably the first thing we need to pray is, God, even give me a heart (laughs) to pray, to desire revival, and a touch of God. That needs to be my first prayer request. <laughs> God, even give me, the, give me the desire and the passion. But I'll tell you, if you, if you just would, I would encourage you to go out and, and read, if you just want to read some of that, I mean, it's out on the internet, and read about these movements of God and these personalities. It, it's amazing. And we have never witnessed that in our culture, and we desperately, desperately need it. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And simply ask you, where are you at in your relationship with God? Maybe you're here this morning, your life is busted and broken you are confused, you have chaos, you have turmoil, (laughs) you pillow your head, things aren't going well, Um, I'm just simply going to ask you, what is it going to take for God to get your attention? When are you going to realize that life doesn't work apart from Jesus Christ and God sent his son Jesus to die for you? And shed his blood for you. So you could be forgiven. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about baptism or doing good deeds. I'm talking about your relationship with God. Do you know that you are born again? Have you been born again by the spirit of God? You've been convicted deeply of your sin. And you know you're lost. You've violated God's law. And you need Jesus Christ. If that is you this morning I'll ask you to come out of your seat and just come up here and stand to the front and we'll have somebody come and pray with you. If you would be inclined to do that we'll send somebody to pray with you. I trust that you do know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions I'd be willing to meet with you after church about your eternal destiny. It is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. For those of us who are believers, I trust that God will grip our hearts, and I'm saying our hearts, starting with me as your pastor, because I need to pray for revival. I need to have a passion to pray for revival. I haven't had that passion. So I'm going to have to ask God to give it to me. And I'm asking you, would you do the same? We desperately need it. And it doesn't mean in six months it's going to happen or a year. Evan Roberts prayed for 13 years for God to move. So there is an incredible... Incredible cost for revival. Because the Bible says, in the day that you seek with me with all your heart, that's when you find me. All your heart. Surrender. I surrender all (laughs) that we sang about this morning. That's what God wants from us. And I think he'll do a great work if we're willing to trust him and see people's lives change for time and eternity. Let's pray.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is Bethesda M b.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B e as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.